Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews Podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. Uh, good afternoon. This is Steve Orlands. I'm president of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and today I am joined by Daniel Kurtz Phelan, who is the executive editor of Foreign Affairs and is the author of a new book called The China Mission, which looks at General George Marshall's um, mission to China, which began in 1945 and 1947. And let me tell you, as somebody who is one of the rare Americans who has focused on that period in China, this is a great book. Thank you. Uh, for me, it was actually a page turn. I mean, it, it was, I couldn't wait to read the next chapter. Why did you focus on this period? So it's this extraordinary moment in American history and in the history of the U.S.-China relationship uh, and an extraordinary story in, in its own right. You have one of the greatest diplomatic and military figures in really in American history taking on what may be one of the most challenging and consequential problems in American foreign policy and doing it all at a moment when the world is unsettled in fascinating ways. It's, world War II is over, the Cold War hasn't really begun, people are trying to figure out what this new reality looks like, and so you have history playing out on this very human scale in a way. You have uh, some of the kind of great figures of the time and really of the, of the 20th century sitting face to face and arguing out the course of history over cocktails and card games and you know touring battlefields together and so the combination of those vast historical forces and this very human story with this incredibly interesting important figure at its center was just kind of irresistible. And by the important historical figures you mean Chiang Kai-shek, uh, right. Zhou Enlai, Mao, Mao, MacArthur, Eisenhower, Marshall, Truman, they all are kind of collide in this very, very challenging moment. So you just, th this was something which isn't really tremendously written about, so you figured you would focus on, on this time. That's right, and, and, and it's, a, it's a time that is so um, wrapped up in various kinds of myths, and I think that's true on the American side and the Chinese side, and this is a story that in some ways uh, undercuts those myths, or at least adds complication. You know, we think of Marshall in this time as the kind of embodiment of a certain kind of of American leadership when we know about the Marshall Plan and his leadership in World War II. Um, but we kind of forget about this episode that comes in between and is very consequential both to the rest of his career but also shapes the way he thinks about uh, foreign policy in really important ways. I think he was, I mean, was he doomed to failure? Was this basically a, an impossible task from day one? So the counterfactuals are really interesting. And there are various moments where you could say, well, if the timing had been slightly different on this agreement, or, or the Cold War had uh, taken shape a little bit later, you could imagine things playing out differently. But really what Marshall came to see over, over the course of his 13 months in China on this mission was that the, the depth of antagonisms in China and the extent of um, growing global tensions really did overwhelm this, these peace efforts that drove his mission at the beginning. So you have this kind of amazing moment early on in his mission when you know he's a pretty hard-headed character, but he gets swept up in this Kind of uh, so democratic. That's right. We're going to have peace. We're going to have a Chinese democracy. Uh, Mao is going to be Chiang Kai-shek's deputy in this democratic Chinese government. Uh, and there are these amazing moments where you hear Marshall, you know, who again is a, a hard-headed guy, um, preaching about democracy and talking about Benjamin Franklin and baseball. And um, you, you, you see this moment when he thinks it can almost work. And then 
the Cold War starts and they get down to details and it turns out that some of the fundamental questions about the future of China aren't quite as settled as he as he thought. But she, so you basically think it was never doable? I think it was probably never doable. And was it doable moments. before then? My focus, my thesis actually, mm -hmm. that I wrote many, many years ago was on Ch the origins of Chinese Communist foreign policy mm -hmm. towards the United States in 1944 and 45 which was a look, predominantly I looked at the Jiefang uh, Erbao, Liberation Daily, right, right. and I read every single day of Liberation Daily wow. for, okay. for 500 days. And in 44? In, in 44 and 45, okay. prior obviously to the Marshall mm -hmm. mission, when Hurley showed up and right, kind right. of in my in the view of my thesis, and one which I've never really changed, kind of blew any chance we had mm -hmm. at that point. You think it was possible then, I if, think it, if, his, if the mission had been much earlier? I think you would have to go back even earlier to really change the fundamental uh, composition of the forces to, to get a sustainable settlement. In, during the war, my view is there was a lot of effort on both the, the communist side and the nationalist side to um, uh, cultivate ties with the U.S. and kind of give a certain impression to uh, U.S. emissaries of a willingness to play along. Right. Um, but by that point, I think both sides were pretty um, focused on the coming fight in the Civil War, the coming yeah. fight against one another. Right. What's interesting is the thesis, the thesis of the thesis is, if you read Liberation Daily mm -hmm. from that period, it's extremely pro-American. Right that they were every day writing stories which portrayed America literally as the old gold mountain, mm -hmm. named for, for San Francisco. And why would they be persuading the people in these areas, that 140 million people mm -hmm. that they controlled, that America was this wonderful place? If they really, if this was all about kind of just trying to fake the Americans out. I, I, I mean, I think one thing that Marshall sees over the course of his mission is that uh, both sides will change their their approach to the Americans and their public messaging um, very uh, very agilely as circumstances change and there there is this moment uh, which extends into the, the early part of Marshall's experience when the international structural forces seem to suggest that both to both sides that uh, getting along with the Americans is going to re be really fundamentally in their interest and that starts to change when uh, U.S. Soviet relations start to change so when Marshall is uh, on his mission, there's a kind of amazing moment when he goes to visit Mao in, in Yan'an. And, and again, the, the, right. the Liberation Daily um, headlines are incredibly adulatory and they're kind of welcoming this, this, this great man and talking about the future of peace. Um, as Marshall and, and Mao are sitting there talking about the peaceful future and the, the U.S. allied Chinese democracy, uh, the, the CCP in, in Yan'an is also watching what's happening in the U.S. And that day, Winston Churchill is giving a speech in Fulton, Missouri, where he's talking about the Iron Curtain right. falling between the West and Communist world. So you right. have the Cold War really taking shape, and all of a sudden Stalin, instead of saying to Mao, "Look, you can never win, and I don't want trouble with the Americans here, so you better you better uh, do what Marshall says," he starts to say, "Well, it wouldn't be so bad if you start to make a little trouble for uh, both the Americans and for the nationalists." And that's mm -hmm. when, as those international conditions change, um, both the nationalists and the communists start mm -hmm. to. Uh, reconsider their their domestic interests. What are the lessons for U.S.-China relations today in this book? So I, mean, it, uh, I started this book six years ago and started thinking about it years before that. So it was a kind of very different moment in uh, the U.S.-China relationship, but it's almost eerie the way um, our current moment of sort of uh, collective dismay, you could say, about 
um, the perceived failure of China to develop according to American expectations, um, the, the, way, the way that the, this current moment is kind of, uh, you see it in, in, in Marshall's experience. And you see him kind of living this cycle of wishful thinking, of you know, kind of hopes projected onto Chinese realities, and then wishful thinking about, about how those would develop, and then this uh, furor of, of recrimination and charges of betrayal once those fall apart. So the kind of who lost China question, once, once Mao wins, becomes this incredibly powerful and right. poisonous force in American politics. And, you know, in some ways where it's not, not quite as central and not quite as uh, poisonous at this point, but there is a, a kind of who lost China quality to debate in the United States right now. And I think there are lessons about both um, realism and, 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 and the kind of perils of wishful thinking on, on all sides, but also uh, lessons about how damaging the, um, that third part of the cycle can be. The, 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 the who lost China recrimination yeah. um, can distort policy just as much as the wishful thinking. Very interesting. Now, we've run out of time, but The China Mission, Daniel Kurtz Phelan's new book on a very interesting period in U.S.-China relations, and I would say it's a must-read. Thank you Thank so you much. for joining us Thank today. you. My pleasure.